Welcome to the One Sealed Letter podcast, where we explore the legacy of letter writing and bring this beautiful art form into the 21st century. I'm Kay Collier. I'm the voice and warm body behind this podcast, and Catherine Hastings and Company, our sponsor. Throughout the podcast, we'll have fascinating guests join us. Researchers, artists, historians will teach us about the legacy of letter writing. I'm also going to share some of my favorite letters from history and things that have informed my own letter writing journey. Today, I'll read the first letter from a collection of letters from the Austro-Hungarian poet Reiner Maria Rilke. The collection of letters is called Letters to a Young Poet, Briefe an einen jungen Dichter in German. These are obviously translated. You can get them for free online. I'll link in the show notes to the poets.org listing of these letters. You also could purchase a hard copy as well. I have a hard copy from Penguin Classics that I have used for years. Every time I revisit these letters, I annotate them in different spots. It seems that there's always something new to discover that seems to serendipitously match up with where I'm at at that point in my life. The letters were dated between 1902 and 1908. We know that Franz Kappes, a young cadet, sent the first letter to Rilke, sending some of his poems and asking for advice from the young poet Rilke. The letter I'll read today is Rilke's response to Franz Kappes. I recommend that if you're in a safe place to close your eyes and just imagine that Rilke is talking to you directly If you have a form of art, be it letter writing or poetry or painting, where you sometimes wish you could hear from an expert and get their advice, these words from Rilke will probably speak to you. Paris, February 17th, 1903. My dear sir, your letter reached me just a few days ago. I want to thank you for the deep and loving trust it revealed. I can do no more. I cannot comment on the style of your verses. Critical intent is too far removed from my nature. There is nothing that manages to influence a work of art less than critical words. They always result in more or less unfortunate misunderstandings. Things are not as easily understood nor as expressible as people usually would like us to believe. Most happenings are beyond expression. They exist where a word has never intruded. Even more inexpressible are works of art, mysterious entities they are, whose lives compared to our fleeting ones endure. Having said these things at the outset, I now dare to tell you only this, that your verses do not as yet have an individual style, yet they possess a quiet and hidden inclination to reveal something personal. I felt that very thing most notably in the last poem, My Soul. There, something of your inner self wants to rise to expression. And in the beautiful poem, To Lay a Party, something akin to greatness and bordering on uniqueness is sprouting on towards fulfillment. However, the poems cannot yet stand on their own merit and are not yet independent, not even the last one to lay a party, not yet. In your kind letter accompanying them, you did not fail to admit to and to analyze some shortcomings which I could sense while reading your verses, but could not directly put into words. You ask whether your poems are good. 
You send them to publishers. You compare them with other poems. You are disturbed when certain publishers reject your attempts. Well, now, since you've given me permission to advise you, I suggest that you give all that up. You are looking outward, and above all else, that you must not do now. No one can advise and help you. No one. There is only one way. Go within. Search for the cause. Find the impetus that bids you right. Put it to the test. Does it stretch out its roots in the deepest places of your heart? Can you avow that you would die if you were forbidden to write? Above all, in the most silent hour of your night, ask yourself this, must I write? Dig deep into yourself for a truer answer, and if it should ring in assent, if you can confidently meet this serious question with a simple, I must, then build your life upon it. It has become your necessity. Your life in even the most mundane and least significant hour must be a sign, a testimony to this urge. Then draw near to nature. Pretend you are the very first man and then write what you see and experience, what you love and lose. Do not write love poems, at least at first. They present the greatest challenge. It requires great, fully ripened power to produce something personal, something unique, where there are so many good and sometimes even brilliant renditions in great numbers. Beware of general themes. Cling to those that your everyday life offers you. Write about your sorrows, your wishes, your passing thoughts, your belief in anything beautiful. Describe all that with fervent, quiet, and humble sincerity. In order to express yourself, use things in your surroundings, the scenes of your dreams, and the subjects of your memory. If your everyday life appears to be unworthy subject matter, do not complain to life. Complain to yourself. Lament that you are not poet enough to call up its wealth. For the creative artist, there is no poverty. Nothing is insignificant or unimportant. Even if you were in a prison whose walls would shut out from your senses the sounds of the outer world, would you not then still have your childhood, this precious wealth, this treasure house of memories? Direct your attention to that. Attempt to resurrect these sunken sensations of a distant past. You will gain assuredness. Your aloneness will expand and will become your home, greeting you like the quiet dawn. Outer tumult will pass it by from afar. If as a result of this turning inward, of this sinking into your own world, poetry should emerge, you will not think to ask someone whether it is good poetry, and you will not try to interest publishers of magazines in these works, for you will hear them in your own voice, you will see them, a piece of your life, a natural possession of yours. A piece of art is good if it is born of necessity. This, its source, is its criterion. There is no other. Therefore, my dear friend, I know of no other advice than this. Go within and scale the depths of your being from which your very life springs forth, as its source will find the answer to the question whether you must write. Accept it, however it sounds to you, without analyzing. Perhaps it will become apparent to you that you're indeed called to be a writer. Then accept the fate, bear its burden and its grandeur without asking for the reward which might possibly come from without. For the creative artist must be a world of his own and must find everything within himself and in nature to which he is betrothed himself. 
It is possible that even after your descent into your inner self and into your secret place of solitude, you might find that you must give up becoming a poet. As I have said, to feel that one could live without writing is enough indication that, in fact, one should not. Even then, this process of turning inward upon which I beg you to embark will not have been in vain. Your life would no doubt from then on find its own paths. That they will be good ones and rich and expansive that I wish for you more than I could say. What else shall I tell you? It seems to me everything has been said with just the right emphasis. I wanted only to advise you to progress quietly and seriously in your involvement. You could greatly interfere with that process if you look outward and expect to obtain answers from the outside, answers which only your innermost feeling in your quietest hour can perhaps give you. I was very happy to find in your writing the name of Professor Horacek. I harbor the highest regard for this kindest of scholars and owe him lasting gratitude. Would you please pass my sentiments on to him? It is very kind of him to think of me still, and I appreciate it. I'm returning your verses with which you entrusted me. I thank you again for your unconditional and sincere trust. I am overwhelmed with it, and therefore have tried to the best of my ability to make myself a little more worthy than I, as a stranger to you, really am. With my sincerest interest and devotion, yours, Reiner Maria Roca. So everyone, what are your initial thoughts on this first letter? Reiner Maria Roca has obviously read the poetry and has a little bit of advice saying that he hasn't found his own voice yet, but he stops there. He doesn't want to intrude on Franz Coppice's own voice and tell him the direction he should go. Instead, he's recommending to go into his own heart and ask if he's supposed to be a writer, if he's supposed to be a poet. There are parts of his advice that I can really relate to. Throughout my 20s, I could tell in my heart that I'm supposed to be doing something creative, and I know my passion for art and letter writing and travel, all the things that I'm bringing finally into Catherine Hastings and company. But I kept trying to find a place in the outside world for someone to tell me that, someone to say, here's your golden ticket. We see that you have these skills. Here you go. Just do this. And that just never really happened. I kept finding spaces where a little bit of my skill set would fit, but not all of my skill set, which was in some ways a blessing because I was able to develop other skills and get more direction on what resonated with my heart and what didn't. So I think his advice is really good. If you feel that whisper or you hear that whisper from your heart, get quiet and listen to it. I think there's an element of practicality that isn't addressed in the letter, though. Rilke doesn't necessarily say what it means if he must write. He does say, okay, well, if you must write, then you absolutely must. You, you have to center your life around that. What does that mean, though? Does that mean that he abandoned the army? Probably. But could it mean that he maybe centers his life around writing and a career in the army allows him to write? There is a Japanese concept, ikigai, which is where your passion, your purpose, your skills, and what the world need all meet. 
And I think that's a really hard thing for artists is having that thing in your own heart that you want to share with the world, but not knowing where it fits or looking for validation from others. I think Rilke's advice is spot on in this sense. You can't do that with your art. You have to just create. And if it's created from that place that's honest and true to yourself, you actually won't care what other people think. When the art has the pressure of being the career, I find then it is harder because an artist needs that validation from outside. So that is one of the questions I have for Rilke. If somebody is centering their life around the art, does that mean that that's their career? Or does it mean that the career is maybe secondary to the art, but it is supporting the art so that the artist doesn't need to seek the opinion of the public? I also feel that an artist is in communion with the world. We don't just close our eyes and only think about our childhoods. Our childhood is so much a reflection of the experience that we've had after childhood. I sometimes think about that, these little threads of things that I'm doing now that I did when I was a kid. I can see in my own life how letter writing has been a common theme. My grandmother taught me to write letters, and then I learned how to do embossing, and then I learned calligraphy, and then I learned stamp carving, and I've learned letter folding, and each of the chapters of my life have had some element of that. There are other common threads, though. My love of skiing, my love of fly fishing, my love of travel. So I think the advice of really going into your heart makes sense, because that's what brings the rest of your life history into focus. I imagine Rilke would probably say that I've missed some of what he was trying to say, but I'm just noticing what at this moment in time comes up for me when I'm reading this letter. These letters bring up different things for me at different chapters in my life. So right now, what I'm taking out of it is how to listen to that inner voice, but I'm not necessarily looking for Rilke's advice on how to build a life around that inner voice. I think that's a totally different thing. And I think in my 20s, I really tried to get that external advice. And in my 30s now, I turned 34 this year, it's so much more about being present for my life and creating stability in some areas so that I can be a risk taker in others to create art. Love to hear your thoughts. I imagine if you're listening that you're an artist and if you don't consider yourself an artist, I challenge that. I think all of us have something creative that we need to express. Maybe it's something in the design world. Maybe it's something in cooking. My best friend and my sister, I think of as being really creative. And they do a lot of kind of design thinking, project management work. So it's creativity that's more problem solving based. And I know as you're listening to this, you're saying, well, yeah, I know what that thing is, but I can't do that. I think Rilke's advice, though, is 
if that whisper is talking to you, you must, you have to do it. If it says that you must, then you have to put that as a part of your life. The other thing I think when reading this letter is how young Rilke is. I'm almost 10 years older than he was when he wrote this, and I still look up to him immensely. But when I think about my own life and how I have so many callings in my heart, yes, there's this piece of creative expression that is so central to everything I'm doing at Catherine Hastings and Company. I'm also a mom, though, and I'm also a wife and a sister and a friend. I'm, I have a beautiful cat named Darwin. I'm a cat mom. I feel whole in my identities in those relationships as well. And so the priorities that he's talking about, about putting something central in a life, assume that we have that one voice that tells us the number one thing. And for me, I think it's more of a synergetic relationship. The things that I love the most in my life make all the other things even better when they come together. I do relate to the piece of necessity, though, that when you create, you have to create. As I've been launching Catherine Hastings and Company, I've been up early in the morning without an alarm because I just have to create. I'm so excited. I have to do it. He said, a piece of art is good if it is born of necessity. This, its source, is its criterion. There is no other. So I just invite you to think about what is your necessity? What is that thing that you know, but maybe you don't share with the world, that the world actually desperately needs? And is there a way in your life that you can just lean into that a bit more? Maybe write a letter to yourself about it. I sometimes put my hand on my heart when I'm trying to tap into that inner voice and finding that thing that I love. It brings a gentleness to my relationship to myself. When I put my hand on my heart and just listen to what I'm feeling and what I need, the criticism goes away. It's just my own relationship to my own natural gifts. And from that spot, then I feel that they can be shared with the world. I really didn't intend for this podcast to get so deep, but like I said, this letter has so many interesting nooks and crannies that can bring up new thoughts. So I hope that it's given something to you, and I'd love to hear what parts of the letter maybe resonated with you and that have changed your perspective. So I'm going to sign off the way that Rainer Maria Rilke signed off in this letter, with my sincerest interest and devotion, yours. Thank you.